If you're looking for another surprising investigation into the criminal justice system, check out Bear Brook from New Hampshire Public Radio, hosted by me, Jason Moon. Bear Brook is back with an update on our second season. Jason Carroll is serving life in prison for a murder he says he did not commit. Now, the biggest development in the case in 35 years could lead us one step closer to the truth. Listen to the complete second season of Bear Brook, now available wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All I do know is that nobody was ever charged. Alberta didn't just go missing. She didn't just go missing, and she didn't just walk away. She knew the person. She trusted the person. You still feel like people are afraid? Probably, you know. It's been really hard because some of our immediate family members were a person of interest and suspects in uh, being involved with Alberta that night. Were you afraid to go to the police? Yeah. I just had to be quiet. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done here? We really just want to get your side of the story. We're doing this story about Alberta, and we really want to hear from you about her last night. Can you tell us anything about it? Was she at your house? I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Who Killed Alberta Williams, a podcast and CBC News investigation. This is part two of episode seven, The Notebooks. On part one of this episode, we talk to Vera Derrick, a relative of Alberta's, who says that after her disappearance, she got a mysterious phone call. Did you ask the woman on the phone who she was or how she knew that? Uh, She said she was at the party that time. But she didn't tell me who she was, and all she said was, if you're looking around town for her, you'll never find her here, because I knew that's where they dumped her. If what Vera said was true, then someone, a woman, knew something about Alberta's murder. But who was she? And why would she call Vera and not the police? And if Vera told the police about this mysterious caller, did they investigate it? We called Gary to see what he remembered about Vera Derrick. So we contacted Vera again just to see if she remembered what she told you guys. And it was this anonymous phone call, and she tried to, I guess, convince this woman to meet up with her, and they had agreed on a spot to meet, but but this woman never showed up. Does any of that sound familiar to you? No, not at all. No. I mean, the name Vera Derrick does, but certainly not about the information where she would have received a phone call telling her that. I mean, if we were ever told, uh, you know, obviously something like that would be in the file. And something like that probably would have stuck out in your memory. Do you think? Yeah, I think it would. Like, that just doesn't, I've got no recollection of that at all. But is it possible she didn't tell the police that? Gary says he spoke out after all these years because it was the right thing to do. That unlike other MMIW cases that were sloughed off by police, Alberta's case was given attention. But he acknowledges that Alberta's family wasn't satisfied with their investigation back in 1989. I remember one day in the uh, detachment, uh, it was Alberta's mom and dad, and I believe there was one other family, one or two other family members with them. 
they had come in and I remember we had a bit of a discussion and they were very, I wouldn't say vocal, but they were very concerned. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing about our daughter's murder? And, and we said, my God, you know, we've talked to a lot of people. And I remember we took them into our office and we had, back in the day, because everything was done with paper, we used just banker boxes. And I remember taking them into the office and saying, like, I don't even remember what it was at the time, but look, we've got six banker, banker boxes full of paper, you know, to try and put some connection to, like, we are actively working on this. But again, you know, for a family, it's hard to look at a box full of paper and say, well, what are you doing? And, and most of the time, you simply can't tell them. And it's heartbreaking, like it really is. I don't doubt that Gary cared about Alberta's case and did a lot of work on it. But reading his notebooks helped me realize just how busy they were at the RCMP detachment in Prince Rupert in 1989. Gary sent us eight of his notebooks, starting in August 1989 through to March 1990. In the beginning, there are a lot of pages devoted to Alberta. But as the weeks and months pass, there are fewer and fewer mentions. In the final book, we didn't see a single entry related to Alberta's case. Sometimes the entries are just of names and numbers, so it's true, we may have missed something. And Gary wasn't the only officer working on Alberta's case. Maybe while he was focused elsewhere, another officer was investigating. But either way, I think it's fair to say that as time passed and other cases came up, Alberta's murder investigation was put on the back burner. You know, I guess being realistic about it, it's like, you know, when we speak of the, the highway of tears, um, you know, all the missing and murdered women that have, you know, again, it's, unfortunately, there's another murder, and then another murder, and then another murder, and then, and you hate to say it, but it's the truth. I mean, it's, there just simply isn't the resources all the time to go back. Having to juggle so many cases would have made it hard to stay on top of every investigation. It made me wonder if some things could have gotten overlooked. On September 6th, two weeks after Alberta was reported missing, but four days before her body was found, there's an interesting entry in Gary's notebooks. 890912, 1647 hours, self to the scene. Location is on the way to the ferry terminal on the left-hand side when going down. The large sign that says, Welcome to Prince Rupert, is almost to the point where the clothing was located. From the large sign, you go down a short distance of about 20 feet to a set of railway tracks. Follow the tracks north for about 40 feet, and the clothing is located just on the left-hand side of the tracks. When I first arrived, the items almost appeared to have just been thrown down one on top of the other. Ross checked the clothing appears to be a sweater and a jumpsuit. One shoelace, one shoe, and two pillowcases. I'm going to interrupt here to remind you what Alberta was wearing the night she disappeared. Alberta, when last seen, was wearing a turquoise blue sweat top with a different colored collar. Baggy type black colored slacks that are narrow at the ankles. The shoes are almost like black slipper type, possibly like leather slip-on type. Probably wore socks and panties, color unknown. A blue sweater, black pants, 
and black slip-on shoes. Okay, back to the entry from September 6th. The bush behind where the clothing was located is very heavy, but there is somewhat of a clearing in behind where the clothing was located. One could not easily be able to walk through it as it is still very heavy growth up to a height of two to three feet. The jumpsuit and a piece of the clothing and one pillowcase was grabbed by trap, possibly ripped. Trap was uh, the name of the police dog. Each item was placed into a separate bag by myself at 1704. Number one is a jumpsuit. Number two is a blue sweater. Number three is a shoe slipper type. Number four is a sock. Five is a shoelace. Six is a pillow cover. Seven is a pillow cover. 1715 hours. Located a piece of paper ripped up and crunched up just about 18 inches south of where the clothing was. All of the items were seized. 1722, all items placed into the rear of Delta II. 1928, it was clear. So days before Alberta's body was found, police found clothes somewhat matching the description of what Alberta was wearing. Gary's notebook doesn't mention a crucial detail. There was blood on the clothing they found. When we talked about Alberta's body being found in episode two, we didn't include graphic details. But now it feels important to tell you, when police found Alberta, she was naked, except for her bra and a shirt. Police never found the rest of her clothes, or her shoes, or her purse. Rick Ross told us how he searched hundreds of kilometers looking for them along the Highway of Tears. There was articles of her clothes missing that we never did find. And I pretty much walked the highway on both sides and done every dumpster between Prince Rupert and I think almost uh, Prince George. We done miles and miles and we had dogs searching and uh, we never ever did find certain articles of her clothing. Mm. We just have no idea where they went. The first thing Marnie and I both thought of when we read about the bloody clothes was Alberta. Especially since they found a blue sweater and a black slip-on shoe. How could police have not made the connection? Or was there something else not in the notebooks that we were missing? We called Gary to find out. What do you remember about that? It was, I remember I was working that day and I don't remember Somebody had uh, stumbled across this clothing. It was just kind of off into the ditch. And uh, I went there. Pretty sure Rick was there. There was another policeman by the name of Craig Gates. I'm pretty sure Craig was there. And it was uh, just some clothing, and it had obviously just been... None of it was folded or anything like that. It was all dirty. It obviously looked like it had been there for a bit. There was some blood and stuff around some of the pieces of clothing. There was bloody clothing? I think there was some blood on it, and it was, uh, yeah, like I, I can still remember being there that day, and I'm pretty sure Rick was there, too. And I remember we, and like it was just some discarded clothing that had been obviously just thrown out of the vehicle, or somebody walking down the street had just thrown it down, like there was certainly no real, from what I could remember, like no attempt to really hide anything, and it was just all some soil clothing. I don't even know what there was, if there was maybe a, a shirt or a couple of shirts, maybe a pair of shoes or something. 
Yeah, I'll read you the entry. It says, uh, 1647, self to scene. Location is on the way to the ferry terminal. I reread the entry to Gary over the phone. A sweater, a jumpsuit, question mark. One lace. Is this uh, jogging your memory? Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more. The jumpsuit, question mark, question mark, question mark, of clothing, and one pillowcase. Number two, blue sweater. Number three, shoe slipper type. Number four, sock. Number five, shoelace. Six, pillow cover. Seven, pillow cover. And it really stuck out to us because when we read it over, it sounded like what Alberta was wearing when she was last seen in. Especially when you talk about a slipper type shoe and a blue sweater. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I wish I could remember what the rationale was because I know, uh, you know, as the investigation progressed, that it was, or we determined, or somebody determined that it was not, didn't have anything to do with Alberta's case. Gary racked his brain. He said they did make the connection between Alberta's disappearance and the bloody clothes but he couldn't recall exactly why they had ruled it out. We went back to our transcripts from an earlier interview with Gary. When we were at his house, leafing through his notebooks, he actually flipped to that page and the entry on September 6th. And this is how he explained it. This one here, this was actually before her body was found. We had found some bloody clothing in another spot that turned out not to be anything to do with her. That's what this is about. Um, How common was that? Ah, I was just, I forget what they, some guy had been in a fight and thrown some clothing down and then somebody had found them. So maybe there was a fight? But how many fights include pillowcases and a single black slip-on shoe? I wished he could explain why they were so sure. But what I would think probably happened is the obviously the items were seized seized by myself, and if they were even thought to be part of the uh, murder investigation, they're probably still in an exhibit locker someplace. Again, for the life of me, I just can't remember what the reason was or the rationale was why it was we didn't think they had anything to do with their case. You know, so there's a possibility, albeit I would think fairly slim, that they might have could have been disposed of, but. Generally, anything ever seized in relation to any murder investigation is never, you don't just say, well, we, you know, we, I guess we ruled this out, we don't need this anymore, so we'll just throw this one out. Or you don't cherry pick through the evidence. Evidence is evidence, and you never know when something's going to be useful to an investigation, if that makes any sense. Definitely. Uh, so there's a chance this still exists somewhere in an exhibit box. Yes. Again, it would have been seized because it was thought to have some possible connection to, you know, her disappearance. It was would have been seized like as part of the homicide investigation or the murder investigation. But but it wasn't it wasn't yet a murder investigation. Or I guess at that point missing person yeah, it would have been a missing persons file. So yeah, anything seized like that again, if it was seized in relation to her investigation, which obviously turned into a homicide investigation about four days later, it would have been or should have been kept and probably is kept or probably is in an exhibit locker someplace. But, and this is a big but, if Gary was wrong and these clothes actually belonged to Alberta, they might contain DNA. 
But where are the clothes now? If police had ruled out a connection to Alberta in 1989, were the clothes destroyed? Or could they still be sitting in an exhibit box somewhere? There's one last entry that I want to point out from Gary's notebooks. It's something that I didn't even really notice the first time I read it. It's something that only became significant once we started piecing together people's stories. On September 2nd, 1989, Gary is with Alberta's family. It sounds like it's one of their first meetings, and they're telling him about Alberta. They mention how she has a little birthmark below her left eye, and how she was carrying a black leather purse with two straps. And there's also talk about what she was wearing, and mention of Alberta having a black jean jacket. Amanda told us that when Alberta came to her house in Terrace on the Saturday, she was wearing a short black jacket. She had a short black leather jacket above the fire, and she left her leather jacket in the truck when, when, when she was coming out to the bathroom. Amanda says she remembers that Alberta left her jacket in the truck when she went inside to use the bathroom. In Gary's notebook on September 2nd is this entry, the first reference to Alberta's sister, Kathy. 11.32, Kathy at Digby Towers. The coat that was actually left in the truck, Alberta did not actually give it up, forgot it in the vehicle. We asked Kathy about the jacket. She didn't remember finding it. But according to Gary's notebook, after Alberta disappeared, Kathy found her black jacket in her truck, the same truck she shared with her boyfriend, Ken. Hey, I'm Charlie Webster. I'm the host of a show called Scamanda. It's all about a woman from California named Amanda C. Riley, a beloved member of her local community and dying of cancer. But it was all one big lie. If you think you know what Scamander is about, think again. There is so much to the story that you will not see coming. The pregnancy is reversing the cancer. Listen to the show everyone is talking about. The Twisted Journey of Scamander is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Once the podcast began, we started hearing from people who said they had information about Alberta. Hello? Hi. Hi, Teresa. It's Connie calling. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for, um, for sending that message last night. Well, I was wondering why they didn't come back to me. I mean, I was dead sober when I seen that guy with her. Can you... The day um, it happened... Or the day she went missing, it was August 26th. Teresa didn't want us to use her last name, but she was at the bar that night. She says she remembers seeing Alberta at the end of the night after the bar closed. And they were standing outside. And then that's when Alberta spoke up and said that, Oh, do you guys want to come with us? Uh, we're going to a party. And, and the driver, he was kind of, I still could remember him because of his eyes. 
You know how those people have eyes that really bulge out? Yes. That's what this guy looks like. That's why I can't forget him. And what did that guy look like? I described him. Some detectives came to my house and asked me questions, and I told them what I knew and exactly what I'm saying to you. I, I To this day, I still remember that day. I never heard from them, but they had put me under hypnosis, and I described the guy because I told them I was dead sober. I was in the car on my way to Port Ed. How would you describe him now? What did he look like? Was he native or was he white? No, he looks like he was white to me. He had a really fair complexion, tall, thin, shag-cut hair. What color hair was it? Dirty blonde. Dirty blonde. And you had you ever seen him before that day with no. Alberta? No, I've never seen him before. So that was that was the Friday night then? Yeah, you... it was Friday. That was our payday. Yeah, we were standing around and um I I looked at those two guys and I said, Carol, I said, You can't just jump in the van. I said, You don't know these guys, they're not from around here. Said, what kind of vehicle it was uh, one of those older vans. It was a van with two doors. And they had the doors open already. And Alberta said, let's go, let's go. And then I kept telling Carol, no, call her. I said, you guys don't just get into a van with people you don't know. Did she say where they were going? No, they said they were going to a party. Uh, Alberta was the only one that jumped in their van just her and him and the driver. When you gave the statement to police and you, they put you under hypnosis? Yeah. Do you remember um, if they did any kind of sketch based on the description you provided? They did. I signed it. That's why I was surprised it wasn't on TV. I said, what the hell is it? There's nothing on TV about it. I thought they would have mentioned the van and it was from Alberta. These people weren't from Rupert. I mean, those are pointers right there. But Teresa wasn't the only one to come forward and say they saw Alberta get into a vehicle outside of the bar that night. So Alice, you and your husband got in touch with Claudia after you, you heard something about our podcast? Yeah. What, what, why did you want to get in touch? Oh, I don't know where to start. Do you remember something about Alberta's disappearance? Yes, I do. We seen her getting into a vehicle that night. You saw Alberta? Yes. Alice Morgan and her husband Randy Daniels say they were parked across the street from Bogies. And what? When did you see Alberta? It was not long after closing time. She walked across the street with three guys. The driver jumped in. Alberta and Alberta jumped in the middle, and then the second guy jumped on a passenger side. And then there's a third guy. He jumped in the back of a truck. You saw Alberta with three guys after the bar in a truck? Yes. What kind of truck was it? It looked to be a black truck. How would you describe the men she was with? Were they all white or were any of the the people that she was with native? All white. And did you recognize any of them? No, I didn't. And what happened after they got into the truck? 
I remember watching her go into the truck there, and I, I didn't know any of those guys that she was with. And I remember looking around for Carol Russell, because Carol Russell was one of her best friends. Anyway, I didn't see Carol anywhere. I didn't see anybody else familiar. So I was watching her get in the truck. I remember looking at the license plate. I don't know. It, it was just weird. What was weird? Just the fact that she was getting into a vehicle with without her, her friend Carol or anybody else with her and the three guys who didn't know. How did Alberta seem? I mean, was she... Because she, she seemed okay. Like, did, did you notice anything about the way she was, was acting? She looked comfortable. Like, like, she was comfortable going in the vehicle. Alice said she is sure that it was the Friday that Alberta supposedly disappeared. Do you think that you would you'd be able to recognize the men that you saw her with if you saw a photo of them? I think so, yeah. We called back later that afternoon to talk to Alice's husband, Randy. She came across the street with three guys. Alberta got into the truck, and then another guy got into the truck, and one guy went to the back. Did you recognize the, the men she was with? No, no, I don't think I, I knew them. That's all I know is that it was a black truck, and it was a single cab. Like, you can only sit three people in there, right? So it, it wasn't a crew cab? Alice said it might have been a, a crew cab. I don't remember it being a crew cab because um, one guy had to sit in the back. I know Randy I says he never spoke with police about what he saw. Alice said a few years passed before she was interviewed by police. An investigator finally contacted me and they tried that hypnosis. So an investigator hypnotized you or tried to hypnotize you? Yes, at the Prince George RCMP station. Did police ever do a, a composite sketch or did they show you a sketch of anyone? No, no. We also spoke to Wayne Benson, who was Claudia's boyfriend at the time. Wayne said he spoke to Alberta outside the bar on that Friday night, just before closing time. She come down and she explained that she had said that there's a party going on over at, the, uh, at Jack Little's place. So did Alberta tell you personally that there was a party at Jack's house? Yes. Um, I do recall seeing her drive, riding in the passenger side of a, an old pickup truck, which was kind of greenish color, uh, an old pukey color green. Uh, I'm not too sure what type of model it was. Did you see who she was driving with? No, uh, all I saw her was uh, she looked out the window and waved when they were uh, merging from the intersection. We heard from someone else who said they saw her get into a, a black pickup truck at the end of the night. No, it was a green, it was a pukey green old uh, truck that uh, I saw her getting into. Did you notice if there was, uh, how many passengers they had? Uh, she was sitting right at the window, so I'm not too sure. Uh, all I did was I just saw her. Uh, I was I was standing at the doorway of Bogies. Did you see anyone in the back of the pickup? Uh, no, it had a canopy on on that uh, truck, pickup truck. 
Wow. And so a canopy is that that's covering the back cab part of it or yes. the back uh, uh, the back of it? Yeah, and you can't yeah, and you can't see inside the cabin with a with a canopy on like that. Would it have been odd for you to see Alberta leave with white guys? I didn't see her leaving with uh, anybody when she walked away, but she said she was on her way and I don't remember whether she told me who she got a ride with. But um, she said she was on her way over to Jack Little's place, and it wasn't a black truck. Like I said, it was a pukey old, like I said, I, I, I can't recall whether what type mm-hmm. of model it was, whether it was a Ford or not. Was it dark green, or was it light green? What is pukey Dark, green? kind dark. of darky, uh, kind of greenish color. It wasn't uh, that like, light green color. Like a Christmas kind tree, of a, kind of? Pardon me? Like the color of a Christmas tree? Uh, that that's too dark. Uh, too dark okay. The the color green was very distinct. Teresa said Alberta got into a white van with two white guys at the end of the night. Alice and Randy say they saw her getting into a black truck with three white guys. Claudia said Alberta told her she was going to a party at Jack's house, and that Alberta wouldn't get into a vehicle with any white guys. But there was another person who said they saw Alberta leave the bar with a white guy in a truck. That's what Gary told us Alberta's Uncle Jack said. But Gary never believed it. Well, we couldn't find anybody else that, you know, seen this truck, albeit vague in description, this unknown white guy with long blonde hair. And quite frankly, I don't think it ever existed. Maybe if Randy and Alice had come forward sooner, the RCMP might have had more luck finding the black truck. Maybe they would have ruled it out and come to the same conclusion. What if? It's impossible to not think about the what ifs. What if Carol had remembered what Ken told her about driving Jack in Alberta? What if Eva asked Alberta if she was okay when she saw her crying at the bar? What if Vera Derrick recognized the voice of the woman who called her that day? What if Gary hadn't ruled out those bloody clothes being Alberta's? What if Randy and Alice had written down the license plate of the truck they saw Alberta get into? Would any of this have made a difference in Alberta's murder? All of this conflicting information and lapses in memory made me feel like we might never find out the truth about what happened to Alberta. Gary says he believes Alberta's case can still be solved. But is that realistic after all these years? I couldn't help but think of the other 17 women who disappeared or who were found dead on Highway 16. The RCMP officer in charge of those cases, including Alberta's, doesn't seem as hopeful as Gary. Well, I've been honest with with our families, and and I say perhaps they'll never be solved. That was RCMP Staff Sergeant Wayne Clary at a town hall in October with CBC Radio's The Current. What do you say to those who feel that the disappearances of their loved ones were not considered fast enough or seriously enough when they first reported them? Well... I'm going to call that the old days, and it's upsetting when I hear that kind of talk. It it happened, 
And um, I'd like to say going forward that it'll never happen again, and, and nor should it. Uh, victims' families deserve that kind of attention, and it's the right thing to do. Then one day, a package arrived. The lab where Reed sent Ken's cigarette butt was able to extract a viable DNA sample. We now had Ken's DNA profile. But what could we even do with it? We need to try to find out if there's any DNA to compare to in Alberta's police file. We need to know why the RCMP didn't release any sketches at the time. We need to know if those bloody clothes were actually Alberta's. We need to try again to talk to the RCMP ourselves. On the next Missing and Murdered, who killed Alberta Williams? Well, he says, out of all my cases, Alberta is top on the list right now. What was your and reaction that, to that? I kind of believe him, you know, he asked for information. Can you tell us how much of a priority Alberta's case is right now? Well, I, I would say it's very active right now. Have you been listening to the podcast? Yes. What are your thoughts so far? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's put the case out in the, in the public uh, once again. I think that's all positive because it's, it's all good. What do you think about a former RCMP officer speaking out in this way? Personally? Um... So it's not unheard of to have samples that were collected in 1989 that still contain DNA? You know, again, if it was stored properly, then... Uh, and if there is something there, then uh, using today's technology, uh, it, is, it is quite possible to get a profile, even, even almost 30 years ago. I don't know how anybody can live with themselves now, knowing something like that. I still walk around like nothing happened beyond me, I don't know. Well, it's not normal. I'm thinking that there had to be a group of guys here involved in this. What makes you think that? For more episodes, visit our website at cbc.ca slash whokilledalbertawilliams. You can also download the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Missing and Murdered Who Killed Alberta Williams is written and hosted by me, Connie Walker. The producer is Marnie Luke and the associate producer is Lori Ward. Technical production by Ashley Walters and Harold Dupuis. And Heather Evans is the senior producer of the CBC News Investigative Unit. For more CBC Original Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash originalpodcasts.